Before we start, we need to state that this is for entertainment and educational purposes only. And even though Ketch is a CPA and may weigh in on topics, he is not your CPA and his license is inactive. And finally, nothing any of us say is financial advice. This is Podcast Hey there, and welcome to the latest episode of Palisade Crypto. Today we're joined by Algo Taharo, Bobby Wang, Dujo, Quiche, Synapse, and Tuesdays. I'm Kat. Today's topic will be revolving around Polygon, also known as Matic. We have two new people to the podcast today, that's Synapse and Bobby. You guys want to maybe introduce yourselves real quick, give a quick 30-second hello? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, what interests me, um, especially about Matic, uh, since that's the topic, is just the DeFi possibilities, um, some of the new gaming stuff that's coming onto it, and really the, the different layers that they're adding constantly to the network as a layer two solution for Ethereum. Hey everybody, my name is Bobby Wang. I like Matic. It is a good project that works with Ethereum instead of trying to kill it like other projects. I like the how it's able to scale and it's probably what I want to look into moving forward in creating dApps since fees are pretty low so far and the team is just amazing. All right, well, welcome to the podcast. Keish, let's, let's kick it off with you. What is Polygon or Matic? Why should people care? What interested it about you and who's behind it? Yeah, sure. So at, at the start of it, Polygon is the self-branded scaling solution for Ethereum. They've branded themselves as the Ethereum's internet of blockchains. You know, you have a bunch of L1 chains out there that ascribe themselves to be, let's say, ETH killers. Polygon, as opposed to saying that they're an ETH killer, has gone through and said that, hey, no, we actually want to work with Ethereum. Our primary base layer is going to be Ethereum, and we are going to be offering multiple different types of scaling solutions for Ethereum. So what Polygon actually is, from a technical sense, is a sidechain to Ethereum. It means that it has its own proof-of-stake validator set. So Ethereum's proof-of-work and Polygon is proof-of-stake. But what it does do is that it functions as what's called a commit chain. A commit chain essentially says, here's the state of the blockchain. Here's what's in everyone's wallets at any given time. We're going to take that, and then we are going to create a cryptographic proof and then post that onto Ethereum. What does that mean? Well, if Polygon goes down, in theory, the state of the blockchain can actually be recovered on Ethereum L1 itself. So it's using Ethereum security to secure a lot of those transactions, a lot of those wallets, the history of the blockchain. But what it's also doing is scaling itself by being a proof of stake chain, which generally has lower fees and higher throughput at the same time. So you leverage a lot of the ETH security. You trade some of it, but you leverage a lot of it. And in exchange for that, what you get is faster transactions, lower fees. You just gave the gave the audience quite a bit to digest. Why don't we Why don't we break down a couple of the things that you said? Because some of our listeners may be new to crypto. Algo, what's the best way to characterize the difference between, say, an L1 and an L2 as it pertains to Polygon? If you ever played a video game, you have like your saves. You have like every single dungeon you go through, you might save after that dungeon. Polygon kind of does the same thing with a a collection of blocks together and saves that state uh, to Ethereum. Instead of being built on the top of Ethereum, it's actually running on the side and just using Ethereum as a almost like an anchor for its security, its data security. 
and say if Polygon never goes down, Savory is right in the fact that you could actually get your uh, assets out through Ethereum if that ever does happen. Yeah, and like you might be asking yourself, like, why? Why does this exist? Why? Why would we need to use, uh, you know, an L two uh, instead of just using the L one? Um, and you know, the reason being that Ethereum, you know, although having, uh, you know, being one of the most popular blockchains out there, um, it is pretty slow in that it actually can only execute twelve transactions per second. Um, so when you have a lot of throughput on Ethereum, um, you get you know, slower, slower times to confirm your transactions and much higher cost for block space on Ethereum. Polygon kind of allows you to, to have a much higher throughput of transactions. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's it's a scaling sl- solution for Ethereum. Yeah, I um, I actually was pretty against uh, Polygon when it first came out. I, I didn't understand like what the benefit of it even really existing was. I used to kind of like shoot it down and saying like, well, once once ETH2 comes out, what what's the point? And then someone brought up a really good point that changed my mind on the entire topic. I, I didn't become bullish on it at that point, but they said that it achieves a faster confirmation time than what uh, Ethereum is trying to do. So, I mean, on Polygon, you can get a four second transaction, which almost rivals that of Visa or MasterCard. So, when somebody kind of enlightened me to that, I was like, oh my gosh, okay. So, if you actually thought about real world implications, Polygon could be used to buy that cup of coffee or buy lunch or just a a really simple transaction. So that's kind of what that that thought of, okay, well now I can use it for small purchases. I I I get what having a faster confirmation time and why even with ETH2 on the horizon, hopefully, why L2s and sidechains are important to have. Yeah, and uh, you know, transaction time is is one part of making you know a blockchain scalable and usable. Like to your point, for some of the traditional things that we do with uh, you know transfers of value, like paying for a cup of coffee. Um, another thing is difference in fees. So if you've used Ethereum for any amount of time, you know that it's not uncommon to pay upwards of eight dollars just to transfer Ethereum from one wallet to another. Much less trying to do a, a you know a swap for assets on Uniswap, where you probably paying fifty dollars at a minimum when gas fees are quote unquote low. Um, so Polygon also offers uh, much cheaper fees. It's much more usable in that sense. I was going to open it up to this question, which is, what is the most amount of money anybody's here has spent? on gas on Ethereum, and what is the most amount of money anybody's ever spent on gas on Polygon? So I probably can start with this because I think I've probably on Ethereum done the fewest transactions of the group here. Uh, Overall, I've spent around 0.2 on uh, transactions. So that's not nothing. Uh, In terms of of values for that, that's around $700 if we're talking about uh, money right now. But the reason for that is because I kind of got onto L2s pretty early relative to just doing stuff on the base layer. And I, I essentially started pushing money into L2s as fast as I could. So I avoided all of that. Now, comparatively to that, let's take a look at Polygon. They do have lower fees. The highest fees I've probably ever paid for a transaction on Polygon was about a buck fifty. But that over that time, that was during a period of high network stress, very high network stress under very specific circumstances. On average, the fees I pay there are roughly between one and five cents. Kind of night and day. Very much so. Now, there, there's trade-offs to that. So, I mean, if you think about it, Ethereum security is why it's so costly. I, and in reality, one of the things we always gloss over is the fact that with ETH2, 
we shouldn't actually expect those fees to go down with the it, with proof of stake. The block time, if we the blockchain isn't sharded, is still 12 seconds for a block on average. And that means there's still limited space on that blockchain. And those blocks are always going to be in demand. So that's really the need for scaling solutions like Polygon that leverage the security of Ethereum, but also allow for faster transactions to go through with the trade-off of having to checkpoint in order to be really secure in what you believe is fi- a final transaction. Yeah. So I think, I think an important thing to think about when you're looking at Ethereum is not even necessarily the cost per transaction, but ne- you know also what you're doing. So like the most I've spent on a transaction was 150 some odd dollars. And that was to cross the bridge. But there's been other times when I spent far more. So a good example of that would be when I uh, got my ENS domain. So the ENS domain, in order for me to get it, I had to transfer money onto the wallet. So that cost me about $10 to do, transferring ETH to that wallet. Then I had to approve the transaction. That cost me about $20 on Ethereum to do. And then I had to do two other processes in the ENS domain. Uh, all in all, it ended up costing me about $300 to just get a simple ENS domain. You know, And not all things are equal. So crossing the bridge from Ethereum to Polygon, you know, $150 isn't unusual, but going the reverse can be quite a bit more. I mean, I've seen fees even above $800 to cross the bridge from Polygon onto Ethereum, going from a uh, a less complex chain to a, a more complex chain, so to speak, or more secure. So even just simple tasks can require multiple transactions, and that can very quickly drain your funds. I mean, unless you're dealing with funds over $1,000, it becomes very inefficient to use Ethereum in almost any capacity. Yeah, I, I do a lot of um, NFT trading. Um, and just because I have the stats uh, pulled up as a sample, um, I can say that I've done 184 transactions on Ethereum, uh, which cost me $6,570. I've done more than twice that amount on Matic. That's uh, 376 transactions on a Matic, which cost me $19. So <laughs> that that should put things into perspective a little bit in terms of the amount of money you're saving on fees on Matic. And I'm assuming too, dude, Joe, that's in today's value of the coin, not when you were using it then? Yes, correct. Oh, it would have been much more if we do day-by-day value. Well, I, I think I win on the most expensive ETH transaction because I decided to register my wallet on OpenSea when A, the GUI was really high and ETH was near all-time high because I'm brilliant. On that day, I spent $318 to register my wallet on OpenSea. And I think nice. Yeah. Yeah. And my most expensive uh, polygon transaction is probably Sunflower Farms like harvest at like 50 cents or something. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that Ethereum fees would be cost prohibitive for all of us to kind of get out there and, uh, you know, discover new apps and just try things and be in a new app for a day or an hour just to test it. I I don't think that we would do that on Ethereum, but uh, Polygon is honestly the the chain that I use the most. Um, you know, that's where I'm interacting with DeFi apps, uh, which we can get into uh, a little bit later. Uh, and it, it's just easy to experiment. Uh, there's barely any, you know, cost to just trying something new. Well, I mean, and I'll say that every single one of us here has rewards on Ethereum that are, you know, not insignificant amounts, be it like $15 of the SOS token or $5 of the W2F token that give an airdrop. But the cost to claim that is 
not worth it. I mean, you would lose money to get something for free. You have to make back your original investment on those. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it's it, because you did those things, you were rewarded for it. And this is the reason why, like, we recommend everyone should be exploring L2s. I know we're talking about Polygon right now specifically, but everyone should be exploring these L2s because you don't actually know what the benefits are from using all of these apps. You could have airdrops. You could actually have special benefits that come from it, early adopter rewards. Getting out there and experiencing the ecosystem as it grows, I think, is one of the most valuable things you can do. And you can do that and gain that experience of trading on Ethereum while never actually trading on Ethereum, if that makes sense. Well, and let's dive into that a little bit, Keish. Like, what what is Ethereum really meant to do? If it's not really useful for the common person, if they have, say, $100 or $500 they want to deal with in DeFi or other crypto applications, what value does Ethereum have in the crypto space? Yeah, so I'd say the biggest value Ethereum has is probably the most secure smart contract blockchain out there. It's it's the first. It's created a lot of value inside of it. It's created a large developer community behind it. And as a result of that, you have a very large financial and cultural system building on Ethereum. But the reason it's building there, and you start to see some of it move to other chains, uh, slowly kind of spinning off as people try to find other solutions and just adventure out. But Ethereum's biggest value proposition is the security it provides. As, and as we're looking towards the future, we should expect that a lot of these new dApps that will come out in the future are likely going to start leveraging L2s like Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, et cetera, et cetera, to launch their projects surely because of the fact that you can trade off some of that security, just some of it, in order to get a large benefit back in terms of usability for the common person as adoption grows. It, it's really an amazing thing to see. But that's when we talk about Ethereum and the Ethereum ecosystem, we shouldn't just be talking about Ethereum. We should be talking about those scaling solutions that help it grow, that are all EVM compatible and, and can result in just a large ecosystem of new things being built. So there's a lot of value in the system that actually, I think, expands as we t- start talking about items like Polygon because of the fact that as the system grows, there's going to be a greater need for them. And that means the security that Ethereum provides to these L2s becomes even more important. You know, you threw out a term there a bit earlier that I think is really critical for any listener to know. EVM compatibility. What is it and why should people care? Yeah, so EVM stands for Ethereum Virtual Machine. So blockchains operate off the basis of that there's this shared history. And that's the blockchain. The blockchain is the shared history between all nodes. But there's also this, there's this thing called an execution layer. What that means is that there's something that when any given block is produced, moves funds from one wallet to another wallet or moves funds from inside the smart contract to outside of that smart contract. That is a shared, what's called execution layer on top of Ethereum. And that's where stuff gets moved. So the blockchain agrees on the state of the blockchain, which means that we believe that this blockchain is the true blockchain. All nodes have to agree on that. All miners have to agree on that true blockchain, at least 51% of them in the current scenario. But the program that these miners are actually running on top of that blockchain is the Ethereum virtual machine. And that's just the software that essentially allows for things to be done. So when you interact with a wallet, say it's MetaMask, or say you're moving something from Coinbase, you say you're moving ETH from Coinbase to Gemini, or from one exchange to another exchange, it's the Ethereum virtual machine that's processing your transaction for you the same way that your bank would be processing your transaction via ACH if you were going to move money to another bank. So when we say EVM, we mean a series of blockchains EVM compatible blockchains that all share that same type of code on top of it. So you can easily swap from one to another. So Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain to Polygon, Phantom 
to Ethereum, Phantom, to Polygon, et cetera. So they all have this shared software that runs on top of it that allows them to interact with each other almost seamlessly. And that's what EVM means. Yeah. And I think just to, you know, get uh, back to Synapse's point about like, you know, what, you know, what's the value of Ethereum? It's cost prohibitive to use. And also to get to catch point on the importance of EVM compatibility. Um, I think that Ethereum is battle tested and a lot of development, you know, Ethereum is kind of a, a first mover um, in terms of being like a smart contract platform that is, you know, permissionless and widely used. And so there's been a lot of development time put into apps on Ethereum because Polygon is EVM compatible, meaning that it can run kind of the same code that uh, is run on Ethereum mainnet. Um, a lot of those apps can basically just kind of like copy and paste their smart contracts over to Polygon or over to any of these other L2s. Um, so you get this really rich app ecosystem for very little cost on these L2s that leverage the investment in Ethereum technology. While we're talking about the benefits of all this, uh, what, were, what would we say some of the risks are, particularly of using Polygon? Um, and what are we trading off? What, what should someone who's new to the space, curious about moving some of the ink to Polygon to try out just some new dApps there and items, what should they know that they're trading off when they're not paying for Ethereum security? That's kind of one of the things that I feel like it's overlooked is one of the security differences is it is a little bit more centralized. So they do run proof of stake, but it's kind of a proof of authority within that. So they delegate a collection of nodes that are then going to validate all the transactions for a set period of time, and then it'll rotate to another collection of nodes. Do one of you know how many nodes are actually validating Polygon? Yes. So there are, there are, I believe, like several hundred nodes, but only the top hundred actually operate in the consensus mechanism. And to what you're saying over, uh, earlier about the delegation, I believe currently it's 10 that would be delegated blocks at any given point in order to be produced. I'm, I'm not sure if it would count as a risk, but it's definitely something to consider is that it hasn't really hit that uh, trilemma checkpoint of being decentralized, fast and cheap. Yeah, I know we definitely experienced that a bit with the whole Sunflower Farms thing. For anyone who doesn't know, Sunflower Farms was basically a play-to-earn game that launched itself on Polygon, and they decentralized everything about it, the entire contract. And what that ended up doing is that it allowed bots to spam the network and make a profit doing so. So the fees spiked, transactions spiked, et cetera, et cetera. What we found out during that period was that there were nodes, some of those nodes that were delegated to actually produce blocks were just producing empty blocks because the, they thought that they could get higher fees for them. At least we presumed we thought that they could get higher fees for those blocks, so they would only fill in more expensive transactions. And that is a risk. So whenever you have, at any period, centralization within a blockchain system, there's a risk to that, that that centralization could be used for something that you wouldn't like. It's, it is definitely trying to be a faster network, Polygon is, relative to Ethereum. And as a result of that, you're trading some of that scalability for security. So you get more scalability on Polygon, but you do lose the fact that some validators could, in theory, take advantage of that system. You know, Keish, you jumped right into Sunflower Farms, and that's a very interesting topic. But the thing is, we all know what Sunflower Farms is. Maybe we could take a step back and, and say, yeah. what is yeah. Sunflower Farms? Why was it this weird flash in the pan thing? How did we discover it? And why was it so big in the Philippines and Brazil? Yeah, 
Uh, a few of us were trying to do transactions. Uh, one of Synapse's projects that he's found. Uh, I think him and I were trying to harvest out of there. And I know some other people were experiencing uh, some intermittent issues. So, we went over to uh, Polygon Scan. And all of a sudden, it's like one contract is eating up 60% of all transactions on the entire blockchain. And if, if you've like looked at Polygon Scan for a while, usually blocks aren't full. Usually, um, GUI is pretty, pretty inexpensive. And then all of a sudden it was like shooting up to like 175, 150 range. And this is just early on on this. So we were like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? So we had to find the contract, find, we found the token. And then we, uh, kind of just found the entire project and looked into it. But it turned out to just be this game where, you plant sunflowers and then after you harvest a few times, you can plant potatoes and you just move through a litany of um, farm vegetables and fruits and flowers and things. And people were harvesting this to get this token. And you talked about Philippines and Brazil. At, at one point, it was you could harvest five rounds of potatoes within 25 minutes, as ridiculous as this sounds. And within that, you could make like two, three, four sunflower tokens, and then they were selling them almost instantly for like a dollar a piece. And it spiked all the way up to six dollars, like really quick before the end of the year. And it came back down to about a dollar. But I mean, people were pretty much making a couple bucks an hour planting virtual sunflowers and virtual potatoes. It got to the point where so many people realized that they could make money on this, that they spun up bots and scripts and just automated the whole process. We joined their Discord and people were like boasting that they had like 700 farms running. It's like, oh my God, okay. So, people just lost their minds on it. Yeah, and it, like Tuesday said, like we, we discovered it because it was using so much gas. So it got to the point, you know, where we were paying, you know, upwards of a quarter of a matic to do uh, transactions to uh, harvest our our vegetables and uh, save our farm and things like that. Which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot of money, especially compared to Ethereum. Um, you know, a quarter of a matic is like what, like was like fifty cents at the time, maybe. So not not a lot from a cost perspective, but it was, it was definitely putting a lot of stress on the network. And I would say to Polygon's credit, there were a lot of people, you know, trying to say like, Hey, shut down the game. Like we can't do our basic trading. And they basically doubled down on their commitment to being a permissionless blockchain, meaning that, you know, anyone can deploy uh, there and not censoring um, certain contracts or transactions, which some people were calling for. So I think that, you know, that is a risk of a centralized system that if there were an application that was kind of, you know, putting stress on the system or threatening it, some, some centralized systems may take that down or try to stop people from using it. Um, so I think, you know, to Polygon's credit, they, uh, d uh did not take that route. Well, and when we, when we talk about that amount of transactions, even that load under normal circumstances, wouldn't have been that crazy, but the contracts themselves for this game were very intensive transactions, and it had lots of transactions within the tra one transaction the user was making, and that's part of what really, in essence, DDoS to the network, and it held up very well through it, 
we were even joking at one point about how every time you do an action in your farm, it's almost the same amount of load on the network as deploying a, a new contract, which is crazy, you know? Like minting an NFT in some regards is not even that power intensive. Could this actually have happened on another blockchain at all? Or is was it Polygon-specific architecture that is still susceptible to this type of, I guess, DDoSing because of the way it's set up? And is that a risk for the network? I do not think it could have happened on Solana. Yeah, well, I I don't think very many things can happen on Solana, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty negative <laughs> towards it. Uh, but I, I think it could have happened on other blockchains, other layer ones, rather. But I think it would have been way more expensive. I think that the bots would have not been able to keep it up for so long because even though we had this huge amount of transactions, just every block being filled for days, it still was only about 50 cents. So, I mean, if you're making a dollar, $2 an hour, it was profitable. I don't think it would have been profitable on pretty much any other layer one. Now, Synapse, you're one of the more interesting use cases of Sunflower Farm. You ran multiple farms and multiple instances of these farms. How many farms did you do and what kind of profitability was it? And what kind of time commitment was it? Because this, this, I think this is as interesting as anything. People, people want to know, you know the dollars and cents of it all. So, Yeah, so first and foremost, the, yeah, the devs... The devs are very clear that uh, it's okay to have multiple farms, so I want to start with that. Um, so I, I personally had 60, and when I first started, it was profitable enough to where I could spend 15 minutes three times a day and net about $1,000 worth of the token. Uh, now, that's assuming I sold it, I didn't reinvest it in the farms or any of that kind of a deal. To start each one of those farms took about $5 to do, and I did do it all manually. There was no, no botting involved. I also helped set up a friend with 40 farms of his own. In that circumstance, uh, very profitable. I mean, when I first got in, the Sunflower token was going for about $1.70. And uh, we got to watch it go all the way up to $6 a token. So um, on those farms, I was able to get two and a half tokens a day uh, at that $6 price. Now, the reality is, as gas went up, it became very difficult to calculate exactly how much gas you wanted to use. Uh, gas at its peak went even over 500 guay for the low end transactions. So I mean, that that's when it started to cost in in the ballpark of 50 cents to do a transaction. So you know, in hindsight, I was probably a little too cheap on some of my transactions, and so I ended up waiting around a lot longer than I should have because I was trying to get the lower end of that gas fee spectrum. I mean, it's interesting uh, just seeing how it developed. I mean. In, in a day, I was able to take back my investment and actually start earning a little bit on it. That whole shebang from when I got in, which was still relatively early, to it going to $6 and then crashing back down because they had to shut the game down, um, which actually had nothing to do with the transactions, funnily enough. It had to do with a, a small vulnerability in the axes, uh, one of the items you can uh, spend your Sunflower tokens on. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to see when it comes back out again with their version two, but uh, hopefully it's a much more efficient and hopefully every single step you do doesn't require a transaction of its own. They they can batch them and make them more efficient. You were pulling in a grand a day from planting virtual sunflowers and turnips, right? Yes. Welcome to 2022, right? I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yep. Yep. At its peak, 
there was a theoretical thousand five hundred thousand seven hundred that I could could have been earning that day. Now now realize like there's a lot to get to that number, and no, I didn't actually realize those gains at that number. You know, because these things are in motion, and there's a lot of steps along the way. So. Um, getting all those farms farmed is one thing, but then transferring it and swapping it and waiting until you have enough to do that, you know, there's a lot that's uh, involved in it. Does anybody think this is sort of a harbinger for what's to come in terms of the gamification of crypto and the play to earn model? I mean, definitely. Does anybody absolutely I mean, there's, there's gonna be another version of this? Like it's inevitable. Yep, it's already in the work, actually. Um, you know, yep. I, I think we could probably spend an hour talking about uh, sunflower farms or sunflower land as they've, uh, you know, dubbed themselves. But yeah, they're already working on version two. I think it'll be interesting to see where, where it goes. Well, and I think within that, there's an interesting debate of, you know, what is a good use case for a game to be on a blockchain and what's a good use case for a game to not be on a blockchain? Now, what made Sunflower Farms special is that it, is entirely on the blockchain and every single action you do is also on the blockchain. So like a good, for instance, with that is uh, one of the jokes we made is, you know, me farming those farms for the rest of eternity on Polygon, as well as on Ethereum through the roll-up process, my planting of sunflowers will be there, you know? And that's kind of a funny thought, but it does beg the question, like how important is that? You know, to me, it's not important. It's, it's really just kind of a joke. But it's an interesting experiment, and I think a lot of these things are still being learned and realized and developed. It's an interesting time, yeah, yeah. So with kind of moving away from you know sunflower a little bit, uh, you know, we've kind of established that with Polygon and Layer Twos in general, you can do you know a lot more transactions uh, at a cheaper cost and faster. So, besides you know besides planting virtual vegetables, what are some of the things that we do on Polygon on a daily basis? Uh, yeah, I. I've been interested in kind of doing swing trading and I, I used to do it on centralized exchanges a lot. I'm a huge fan of not your keys, not your crypto. So I've, I've been trying to do kind of swing trading on chain and Polygon's kind of been able to facilitate a lot of that. Uh, one of the dApps that I'm, I'm a big fan of, and I guess I should preface that with dApps are just a short and abbreviation for, uh, decentralized applications. One of my favorite apps is uh, Slingshot, Slingshot.finance. It is a DEX aggregator. So DEX are decentralized exchanges. And then the aggregator part means that it goes out and it looks, I, I want to say roughly at 175 different sites that have liquidity. The site actually works on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. But uh, I exclusively use it on Polygon and I, I love it. I'm able to have my USDC and whenever there's a dip that happens and I think that it's going to come back up, put my order in there. And I feel like the spread is definitely lessened. Most transactions hit a few different sites and gives you that best price so that you don't have huge amounts of slippage uh, that you kind of experience using some of the other swaps. Yeah, a, a decentralized exchange aggregator is probably my favorite dApp on polygon yeah I, I i remember when we first started moving over to polygon and we started using apps like one inch and matcha which were uh which were dex aggregators that would jump through multiple exchanges and we were our minds were blown when we saw that 
Sometimes they were routing through five to seven exchanges. I believe during one time I saw one of my transactions get routed through 15 different pools and I didn't pay an obscene amount for that transaction. Whereas on Ethereum, that transaction could have cost me five, $600. Um, so the implementation of how Polygon's currently working is one such that it affords you so much more, so much more, I guess, uh, how would we say it? Just ease of access to a lot of liquidity in these pools, whereas in Ethereum, just given the state and the the cost for the security at that layer, wouldn't be possible to jump through that many pools to get you a, a great deal on your trade. So yeah, swing trading is definitely a, a great application for layer twos versus L1s. And to think of it, the, the fact that we're only talking about like the proof of stake chain right now on Polygon, whereas Polygon has multiple solutions. I don't, we don't really have too much detail on some of them, but they have multiple ZK solutions in the works right now. They have a privacy chain in the works right now. This team is kind of booking it when it terms of active development. So I'd expect this ecosystem to expand a lot in the near future. Now, as for an app that I, I love on Polygon, uh, I, think, I think Beefy Finance just takes the cake with this one because essentially it's a vault platform. So, you know, you, if you are providing liquidity, you know, you, you take half of your assets and you buy another asset and then you take those two assets and you put it into a pool, right? And then you can get money off that pool, right? The trading fees off that pool. Well, that's great and all, but you can't compound those earnings, right? What a vault platforms do is that they are smart contracts that allow you to compound your earnings, those fees that you earn by providing liquidity to pools, and then it reinvests it on your behalf, which is amazing. One of the, you know, you're providing so much useful information, but you're using specialized terms. If you had to use terms that everybody was familiar with, say, liquidity is to money in a bank account, earnings is to interest, how would you describe it for, say, in layman's terms? It's, it's really wild, man, because honestly, like sometimes it's hard to find a corollary to the, to the current financial system with it. But at the base level, if you put money into a bank account and you earn interest on it because the bank is using that to lend out to other people. Now, I know we're not really earning interest right now on our bank accounts in the real world, but that's the, probably the best example I can provide is that you would, in theory, earn interest on your checking or savings account if the bank's lending it out. So the same thing happens here, but instead of just earning that interest, there's now platforms on L2s where it's cost effective, it co the, the fees are so low that you can have contracts automatically compounding your earnings over and over and over again without you doing anything. And it's wild. And Beefy is one of the, just one of the OG platforms that does it on many L2 networks. And that's why I like it. Yeah. And instead of like the, you know, the, in the traditional sense, instead of the bank lending your money out and gaining interest on that um, in, you know, decentralized finance platform like Beefy, you're lending out your liquidity and you're getting the bigger slice of the reward for that. Yeah. You've cut out the middleman, the bank. Congratulations. You've not only do you custody your own funds, but you get to earn interest on those funds that you have in your own wallet. Your mattress money's earning interest. Imagine that. Yeah. So there's, there's gaming on, you know, L2s. We've got, you know, swaps. We've got, you know, vault platforms like Beefy Finance and uh, uh, Balancer is another, another great app that I, I use on Polygon. Um, I think Balancer is also on Ethereum and maybe another uh, chain. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, another uh, another big platform that is now available on Polygon as well as Ethereum is uh, Uniswap, um, which most people should be familiar with. So there's a lot to do on Polygon. And, you know, again, I'll say it again. I think my favorite thing about Polygon is just that you can get in there and try all of these apps 
for cent, cents, like pennies on the dollar. Um, you can make mistakes. Don't make big mistakes with your money, but <laughs> but you know you can you can test everything, which would just be prohibitive on Ethereum. So, Bobby, have you put any money on Balancer or Beefy or any other DeFi platform using Polygon or Ethereum? And what was that experience like? I needed help to get to Coinbase to Polygon and then get from Polygon to Beefy Finance. And it just makes me think, the world's not ready for this. If I could barely do it or if I need help or I need to go through some guides, I feel like people like my mom who want who have a lot of money, there I think it's more of a barrier of entry for them. So that's the only thing that is keeping DeFi back a little bit. Well, let me ask you this. What was your first move? What uh what did you decide to go into or what did anybody convince you to go into? So uh I like doing leverage trading. I did that and I'm like, okay, so there has to be a better way to handle large amount of money and still gain some profits. So people told me about DeFi, uh, Algo. Tuesday, basically everybody in the Discord told me about DeFi. And I'm like, all right, this sounds pretty interesting. But I still, I still didn't know how to get from Coinbase, which you know most people have fiat. They don't really have crypto in their own wallets. So it was hard to get from Coinbase to uh, just a DeFi platform. Like uh, Coinbase, you can't really use Polygon to get there directly. Because I think uh, as of this moment, I think you can't really leave Coinbase using the Polygon network. You have to do it to Ethereum. And that's kind of expensive right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think we all had different experiences getting on onto Polygon. Uh, I remember that the majority of us were on BSC or Binance Smart Chain, kind of back in the heydays of that. And when Polygon started to pop up, we used a third-party bridge called Xpollinate. And basically, you could take stablecoin on BSC, deposit it there, and then they would allow you to withdraw it onto Polygon. And they take like a small little fee for that. But I mean, it was like the quickest way that we could get on. So, I mean, we were pretty much all moving our funds along with the rest of BSC, it felt like at the time. And like they lost liquidity on Polygon. There was like every single person was trying to get over there and there was just zero dollars even withdraw. So it took us a few days for everyone to get over. But since we already had it on another chain, we were able to use one of those third party chains. But I'd be curious, speaking of getting onto Polygon, have any of you gone through that like withdraw onto Ethereum and then gone across the bridge and either proof of stake or plasma bridge what what was it like doing that how long did it take to get your funds and what were the fees uh, associated with that so i have done it a couple times um when i don't want to like hop through another chain such as like buying smart chain or avalanche or even solana there's times where i moved uh, larger amounts of money from ethereum to polygon using either polygon bridge their own bridge or through another bridge i like to use called hop it would take roughly sometimes 10 to 15 minutes due to the slower block times on polygon and most d apps on polygon DeFi apps on polygon require roughly 35 or more block confirmations blocks since your original transaction to go through to pretty much have like hey confirm your transaction on the network and is that and on polygon or on ethereum that's on ethereum but it's kind of also, yes, it's also kind of a, a almost like a universal standard now upon 
uh, EVM chains that require like most apps 35 blocks to happen since your original transaction. It's kind of the norm for waiting for, uh, let's say, block finality, but just waiting for a transaction to be 100% good on the network. But fees moving from Ethereum to Polygon, I've had sometimes ranging from $20, $30. And this one time I moved a decent amount of money across and the fees don't shouldn't change with common money but what does change is the amount of gas required to transact on ethereum which most of us here know can be quite erratic especially when during times of nft hype or token launches or whatever it may be and the most i spent on a single bridge transaction from ethereum to polygons probably around north of four or five hundred dollars moving some change across um hot bridges a bit cheaper, but not as secure, in my opinion, but it's significantly cheaper and faster. But it's probably not the most secure way to move your funds into Polygon. I like the platform. I provide liquidity for them. Moving from Ethereum, which is, guess what? That's the only place you can go with your ETH from Coinbase and with your Matic from Coinbase is to Ethereum. And so uh, we've met a bunch of people who sent their Matic from Coinbase to the MetaMask and didn't realize that they were getting Ethereum Matic, not Matic that's on the Polygon network and had to struggle and had to realize that they were kind of stuck there if they didn't have the gas to move it off of the Ethereum and onto Polygon. It is quite sometimes, I wouldn't say like the honeypot, but it turns into a impromptu one. You send, you send Matic to your wallet address and it doesn't show up and you go, oh crap. The money never showed up in my wallet. Little did you know you need to switch chains and look at look at your Ethereum wallet and then add the Matic token. How I mean, what percentage of people out there even know how to solve this problem? A tiny, tiny amount. And I mean, I've helped plenty of people realize that and had to give a lot of people the bad news like, hey, yes, your Ethereum is in your wallet, but on a different chain on Ethereum. I think that's one of the things we hear a lot in the Discord is People are coming in, they want to try to figure out how they get into DeFi and they've either like sent money off of an exchange for the first time and they don't know where it is and we have to kind of help them through, ask for their wallet address, kind of go through each individual Ethereum scan, Polygon scan, BSE scan, try to figure out what they did, finally find their funds and tell them how, what kind of the steps on what they need to either do like move Ethereum into that wallet as well and now transfer it back to the exchange or take it over a bridge or for probably from my personal experience. So it's not like a stat or anything, but I would say maybe 5% are comfortable custodying their own crypto. And I think that's kind of terrifying and kind of just how, how new the space is. I, I think so many people that are in crypto are excited to be here and excited for the either the tech or the money, but they haven't really figured out like why crypto is taking off and what the whole point behind crypto is, is to me, it's to be used. So if you've never taken your money off of an exchange, I, I don't think you have really even experienced what crypto is trying to do. Yeah. And it, it, you know, I agree with Bobby that it is, it is pretty intimidating. And, you know, you definitely do have to do a lot of research to even, uh, you know, begin to do it yourself. And, you know, honestly, if I wouldn't have found 
you know, a community on discord, um, to, you know, talk with you guys uh, about these things. I don't know how soon I would have, uh, you know, really taken the step into, you know, using L2s or, um, you know, doing, doing anything to the extent that I do now where it's, you know, I literally have funds on like 10 chains, um, you know, always trying new things. I, I think the, the good news is that even since the early days um, of BSC and, you know, using X pollinate um, I, you know, I think that the user experience of bridging funds has just gotten universally better, you know, on the X pollinate platform and others. Um, I think that, um, you know, on Matic, for example, um, one, one problem that a lot of people had is after they got their funds to Matic, uh, they couldn't do anything because they didn't have any money to pay gas. So it's like they had to find someone to send them Matic um, Megan has now implemented a gasless swap that will allow you to swap uh, certain assets for the gas token on Matic. So you can at least get yourself out of that one. And, you know, I think the end game here really is for more centralized exchanges to allow withdrawals directly to layer two solutions like Polygon. I think there have been some, I think Binance has um, allowed direct withdrawals to Polygon, although it's been a little spotty. Um, I know KuCoin, another uh, centralized exchange, um, also allows that. Uh, I, I, I believe Coinbase has it in the works. So hopefully, at least that hurdle uh, will be overcome soon here. Yeah, I, I remember that we used a few faucets back in the day, and now they're all kind of dried up or retired or something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that Polygon has put out that gasless swap so that you can take any coin that you have exchange it for Matic and get going, it's huge. And if, if anyone hasn't tried it, the website for that is wallet.polygon.technology and you can connect your wallet there and it has a feature for swap to gas token. And it's super clean, really quick. And I, I think the team did a phenomenal job on that. One of the overarching and broadest concepts that frankly one of the most important in my opinion when it comes to crypto is a series of adages like not your keys, not your crypto, do your own research. What are a few others? Um, uh, DD, due diligence. Yeah, right. Not financial advice. Not financial advice. Right. Big one. So do your own diligence, do your own research, not financial advice. What, but one of the backstops of that is crypto is also a community. And one of the easiest ways to plant seeds and develop ideas and find jumping off points for doing your own research or learning about new projects is the crypto community itself. And I think we sort of found each other via Discord. And would any would I mean would anybody here say that the most critical element to your crypto success has been community. Does anybody does anybody agree with that statement? Oh, a hundred percent. I agree yeah. as well. Yeah. You, you can't you can't go through this alone. Yeah. No way one person can figure out everything, hear about every project. It it's just too much to digest. Look, in the in the current world we we see that financial literacy is not most people's strong suit. And you see that people pay people quite literally thousands of dollars, if not if you're not a like large players, millions of dollars to manage money for them because they don't know what to do with it. The same things here, except it's 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 on the blockchain. You know, the the sharks circle both the current financial markets and the crypto markets, and so having a strong network to which bounce stuff off of to verify that's whether something's legitimate or not is huge. 
particularly when you're trying to get into something new and explore the ecosystem as it builds itself out. Yeah, if if everything that I did in crypto, I was doing myself for the first time, I don't know that I would have even really started. Um, I you know I think now it's to the point where one out of every ten things I want to do, I really have to figure out myself. Nine out of ten times, someone else that you know I'm in communication with has already done it, and you know just knowing that and uh, you know being able to talk through whatever aspects of it that are worrying you or that you're unsure of. I think that 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 is absolutely huge. Bobby, you discovered Palisade about how long ago? Uh, I would say it's about two months now, give or take. And prior to that, where would you say your crypto knowledge was and where do you think it is now? Because you you at one point, would, would it be safe to say we're intimidated by all this? Oh, uh, yeah. So my very first experience about with crypto was through my dad and he told me about this great project called BitConnect. I'm like, dad, that sounds like a scam. But he's like, no, 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 I already made some money and I could uh, triple your money. So me and my family gave uh, my dad a bunch of our life savings. And if you know anything about BitConnect, you basically know the rest. So I was burned early by crypto in 2017. But then I did some research on my, on my, by myself about just Bitcoin. Uh, I even bought uh ethereum back then when it was what 300 400 had a, had a little bit of ethereum but after a while you just uh after a crash or two you kind of just get away from it it's like this is just too risky and i kind of just put it in the back burner so i recently got back but so i just looked for some spaces about crypto and i found you uh palisade and i got on uh DeFi nfts and now uh i feel better and knowing how to secure my own money how to move it, how to protect it, and just what projects I should keep an eye out for. If anybody out there is listening and going, wow, this is all really intimidating, or I don't know half of what the hell Keish just said, which I think that's all normal. The time. That's normal. Yeah, that's pretty normal. He, he talks in very dense sentences. Um, dense sentences. But they're yes. packed full of information. Um, you are welcome to join our crypto community. You can meet us. We can talk you through things. We're open to new members. As long as you're willing to learn and you're cool. The Discord is just discord.gg slash Palisade. We do have a few other things that we got going on. We're starting up a YouTube channel, which one of the first videos is actually going to be uh, what we've kind of deemed the uh, the savory method on onboarding uh, money onto Polygon. So we'll get that out there. It's also Palisade Crypto. We do have a Palisade Crypto Twitter and we do have an Instagram and we're starting up a TikTok and a Reddit. So we are pretty much on everything. Uh, but the most active form is definitely Discord. Uh, so discord.gg slash Palisade uh, is that join invite. And we, we'd love to have you. Okay, so let's do a quick lightning round and maybe we'll get out of here on this. Uh, first of all, not financial advice. I'm asking what you would do with your money. You have $1,000. You have to invest it in, some, in Polygon or some other project. Where does it go? The date is January 16th. I guess that's relevant. So that way we can peg it to a time. Algo, what do you say? So first, I would throw rough about half of it as Matic into the hop exchange or the hop bridge um, to help add liquidity for people coming over from Ethereum to Polygon. Um, if I can help with that, great. I get APY there as well. and I get earned on my Matic. I uh, throw then a quarter of it onto Balancer. 
through spread to um, one of their investment pools on there, which spreads about my one single investment across multiple different blue chip cryptos that I believe in. And the last quarter, I would toss into beefy finance, which as um, Sabre was talking about, a great uh, DeFi yield aggregator into just pure stables earning right now roughly 32 to 34% APY on just US dollar peg stable coins. That's what I would do. The idea was to go with one answer, but you went full jazz and gave us three. Bobby, same question. Yo, same thing. Put it all balanced in stables. And depending on the market, but I think the market's going down. I want to be in stables, get some money off of that. But if the market goes down, if I see some cheap coins, take it out of stables and buy some uh, Polygon in Ethereum. That's all I would do. Dude, you're up, big papa. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I think I would double down on something that I'm already doing, which um, like Algo is I would uh, probably take that $1,000, uh, bridge it over to Polygon and uh, put it in a beefy vault uh, farming stable coins. So basically very little risk of any impermanent loss there. And uh, yeah, currently earning 32% on stables and beefy on Polygon. Okay. So that brings us to Mr. Quiche. You got a grand. Where's it going? Short, simple, sweet, buy $1,000 with a Matic, deposit it into a My Finance vault, borrow at a safe collateral ratio against it, throw it into stable coins, farm that money. It's amazing that you would think that's simple, Quiche, but that's a Quiche kind of answer. Simple for me. <laughs> All right, Synapse, you got a grand. Where's it going? So I'd be doing pure stable farming currently, primarily USDC and DAI. Um, there's a stable farm that I'm using on Polydex, which is the Krypton network. A um, little bit higher risk than some of the beefy stuff, but currently I'm earning in the ballpark of three to five hundred percent APR on that. All right, Tuesdays, you got a grand. I um, I'm probably the only one that is not going to do stables. Then I'd probably keep it asthmatic. And uh, same with Snaps. Uh, Snaps has a f- few recommendations for projects in the Discord, and I'd, I'm using one of them. So Matic. I would put into a single stake pool there and earn a uh, farm token to sell daily there. And uh, it's like 200% APY on Matic right now. So that's where I would go. All right. I'll go last. My answer is basically going to be just like Tuesdays. I'd buy the token, find a place to earn an APY, call it good. No need to reinvent the wheel. Keish, you want to take us out? Yeah. Thanks everyone for joining. Thanks, Algo. Bobby, Catch, Dujo, Synapse, Tuesday, and I'm I'm Quiche. May the yield be with you.